The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Not even welcome back. Just happy Thanksgiving. I am recording this podcast on, I don't know if you know this or not, the drunkest night of the year in America. That's right. More money is spent on alcohol tonight than any night in the calendar year in the United States of America. I actually thought it'd be New Year's Eve. I really did. But no, the studies have shown it's Thanksgiving Eve. So if you're listening to this and you're a little bit hungover, I'm sorry ahead of time because we're going to get into some stuff today. As you can probably tell, my voice is still not 100% recovered, but we're doing our best. And we're going to talk about some narratives, but it's always kind of tricky because the Buffalo Bills play today. That's a little weird. Historically, my show comes out on Thursday. You've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning to listen to it. Maybe even most of the day Sunday, sometimes all the way up until Monday evening to listen to it. And we do narratives from the last game. So I was sitting down and thinking, do I want to do this show as a preview of the Lions or a review of the Cleveland Browns game? And I decided to do a review of the Cleveland Browns game because it will still be valuable even after the game against the Lions has happened. Even if you're listening to this show on Friday or Saturday, the narratives, or at least most of them, from the Cleveland Browns game will still matter. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I can do a review of the Lions game on Food for Thought live on Friday night. So that's the reason why we're doing 
what we're doing. And it's not a preview of the Detroit Lions. You know, in many ways, I don't have the right temperament for this job. In a lot of ways, I don't. Because I don't really get super low after a loss, don't really get super high after a win. And that can feel non-dynamic. I don't really say a lot of hot takey things. But this is one of those scenarios that I think we can use a recent opportunity to judge a current opportunity. So when the run defense was bad against the Green Bay Packers, I sat here and said, I'm not really that concerned. Bills weren't really trying all that hard. Then when the run defense struggled against the Jets, I said, okay, now I'm a little bit concerned. Here's what I saw. And here's why it matters. So now we don't have two points. That's the first point of data. Then the Buffalo Bills came out and completely shut down Nick Chubb. But this isn't the first time that the Buffalo Bills have done this. Historically, they've played Derrick Henry very well as well. When the Bills decide that they're going to shut down the run game, regardless of whether or not Tremaine Edmonds was actually in there, they still did. Tremaine Edmonds, far more valuable, in my opinion, in the pass game than the run game. That's not a knock on Tremaine Edmonds. I'm saying that you can still get the job done without him in the run game. Getting the job done without him in the pass game is a little bit more difficult. But I didn't get too low when the run defense problems started to crap up. And now I'm not going to get too high when the run offense starts to look good. The Browns have an absolutely abysmal front seven against the run. Anyone who has a running back in fantasy football who is playing the Browns this year knows exactly what I'm talking about. The expected points went through the roof. If you had Ramondre Stevenson when the Patriots played the Browns, you thought, here we go. Sure enough, he had a big game. The Browns' front seven is not good. That doesn't mean it's not encouraging for the Buffalo Bills' run game to look good. It means it's encouraging for a different reason. It's encouraging because they're not bad enough that they fail when they should otherwise succeed. And that in and of itself matters. If you are going up against an enemy weakness and you still can't show strength against their weakness, that's a huge red flag. So sometimes avoiding the red flag is a victory in and of itself. And that's the way I look. That's the way I interpret the Buffalo Bills' success running the ball against the Cleveland Browns. They should have looked good, and they did. So you can take a deep breath and go, okay, they did what they were supposed to do. So the run game isn't so bad that it can't even look good against someone it should look good against. The phrase I would use to describe that is, that means the Buffalo Bills running game is not irredeemable because it can look good against a weak run defense. That doesn't mean you write it off. That doesn't mean you go, well, it doesn't matter because they had a bad run defense. That just means you don't freak out in excitement about it. You don't go, 
I'm just going to, it's a data point. It's nothing. No, it's still a data point. The data point is that the offensive run game is capable of succeeding in a place where they should. That in and of itself is a data point worth noting. It's not a data point worth celebrating about, but it's more of a relief than a celebration. And the Lions, I don't know what to make of the Lions run defense. They've been bad all year long. Then they bottled up Saquon Barkley and the Giants last week. And I went, oh, really? So this is the thing that we're doing. The Lions defense, ironically enough, has been much better since they fired their defensive backs coach, which makes very little sense to me because there doesn't seem to be any correlation between that and specifically run defense. But it's been better because it was abysmal earlier in the year. And had the last couple of weeks not happened, I would have approached the Detroit Lions game identically to the way I approached the Cleveland Browns games from an expectation level. But now I don't know what to make of it. So regardless of what happens with the Bills' run offense against the Detroit Lions, I will not be surprised. If the Bills' offense comes out and they struggle to run the ball against the Lions, I will not be surprised. I'll say, well, the Lions turn the corner. Good for them. If the Buffalo Bills come out and obliterate the Detroit Lions' run defense, I'll say, okay, so it was a fluke against Saquon Barkley. They really are that bad. So in this way, we can kind of set expectations for what you might have already seen by the time you look at this podcast. By the time you listen to this in your podcast feed, the Bills-Lions game may have already happened. And we're setting our expectations appropriately. Because no matter what happened against the Detroit Lions, I'm not going to be moved. Because there's a reasonable path that could explain both potential outcomes to me which means I will need more data about whether or not the Buffalo Bills run offense has truly turned the corner or not, regardless of what happens against the Detroit Lions. So that's how I feel about the narrative about the Buffalo Bills run offense finally turning the corner. I'm much happier about the run defense than about the run offense. The run defense is a return to form, and it's proof that when the Bills make a concerted effort to shut down an elite stud running back, that they can indeed do it. With the run offense, all we have is a data point that indicated that something they should have been able to do, they were able to do. Which to me, isn't a celebration. It's just a relief. I want to talk about the talk with Sean McDermott and Stefan Diggs. One of the things that always really bothers me about these particular moments is because they were captured by the broadcast camera, there becomes a lot of extrapolation because media content hates a vacuum. So we create things. We then assume why the talk was necessary. And then we assume what the talk entailed. And then we create narratives based not on what happened, but based on whatever priors we had about McDermott and Diggs. If you previously thought that Stephon Diggs was a diva, if you're one of those jaded Vikings fans, for example, 
who thinks Stefan Diggs is a drama queen and a diva. The second you saw that conversation, your eyes rolled. Let's see, told you so. These priors don't even have to be recent. They could be long held. They could just be you projecting your irritation over losing two games that you put on McDermott onto this conversation. But here's what Stefan Diggs actually said about it. He said, quote, McDermott knows his players. Everybody needs to be led in different ways. He knows I'm a very charismatic, high-energy guy. He knows sometimes I just need to take a breath. McDermott said, quote, Steph is one of our leaders, so I just wanted to offer some encouragement and settle everyone down. Immediately after the game, Stefan Diggs said, he always has the right words to say. My head coach, my head coach, he said, does a great job of keeping everyone level head. You know, we talk about it like it's a, a lot to do about nothing because the Bills won. But if the Bills lost, that would have been a lot bigger of a talking point. But nothing about the conversation would have been different. Nothing about the reasoning behind it. Nothing about the content of it would have been different. Only our reaction to it would have been different. Which is hogwash. Any person who has ever led anybody has had a meaningful heart-to-heart conversation when things were frustrating for that person. Let me put a caveat there. If they're a good leader, they did. Stefan Diggs said he knows the words to say. He knows me. He knows who I am. And McDermott does. And the time that they invested in getting to know their players... Matt Rule was recently on Good Morning Football. He said his biggest regret was that he didn't get to know his players enough. So Matt Rule cannot steer the ship when it starts to go off course. But Sean McDermott can and did. I understand that Sean McDermott is a flawed head coach because all head coaches are flawed. And sometimes he's going to want to make me pull my hair out so I look like him. Sometimes it's going to happen. But as far as I'm concerned, this is much ado about nothing. The only reason I'm commenting on it is because it became a narrative. It became a narrative because the broadcast view decided to show it and then opine on the content of the conversation and the necessity of the conversation. But Stefan Diggs told us what the conversation was about. Sean McDermott told us what the conversation was about. It was just about someone leading someone. That's it. And it's a lot harder to lead people when things are going poorly. And that's exactly why leadership is necessary. If everything goes well all the time, why is leadership even necessary? What's the point of having leaders? If every single person goes in the right direction all the time, there's no purpose to leaders. Why do sheep need a shepherd? if they always go exactly where they're supposed to go. It's pointless. The shepherd isn't there for when they're going in the right direction. He's there for when they're going in the wrong direction. That's the point. 
But then we see Shepard's Shepard and we think it's drama. It's just leaders leading. That's all it is. This is what leaders do. Or at least it's what they should do. And it's what Sean McDermott did. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about the run defense. We talked about the run offense. We talked about the talk between Sean McDermott and Stephon Diggs. And now we're going to talk about Zach Wilson because that's been a topic across the NFL. And it relates to the Buffalo Bills because of the way the quarterbacks take accountability and lead. Zach Wilson, when asked after the press conference when he went 9 of 22 and had an objectively poor game, was asked whether or not he believed he let the defense down. His answer was short, sweet but perhaps a little sour for the other people in his locker room. He answered simply, no. This, of course, was contrasted with the Buffalo Bills' own Josh Allen when he didn't play well against the Minnesota Vikings and arguably was the biggest piece of the reason why the Bills lost the game. When he said, I played like bleep. This week, after being benched, Jets head coach Robert Sala admitted that the locker room might be a little bit irritated with Zach Wilson. Not that they hate him, but that they're a little irritated with him. And it just goes to prove the rule that we've known for a long time in the NFL. You can be difficult, you can be bad, but you can't be both at the quarterback position. Because Josh Allen was objectively not a good quarterback for a large portion of his first two NFL years. The phrase that I've historically used when describing it is not extension worthy. If I would have gotten 2018 and 2019 Josh Allen every year, I would not sign that person to the extension that we signed Josh Allen to. But the locker room stayed with him. The locker room stayed with him because he accepted his accountability. Quarterbacks are in a precarious position in the NFL. They're spoiled and everyone knows it. It's really easy for the rest of the locker room to be bitter at a quarterback. They get paid the most. They get the most media time. They're the face of the franchise by default. And they can put up with you being a little difficult, a little selfish, maybe even a little egomaniacal if you're really good. But they'll hang with you even if you're not very good. 
if they know that you're trying, they know that you're working, they know that you're not going to throw them under the bus, they know you're going to stay accountable. Accountability is one of the things that the Buffalo Bills liked about Josh Allen when they drafted him. They talked to him about the tweets that came out the day of the draft. And if you remember correctly, here's what he said about it. He said, first off, going back to six years ago, I was a kid and I'm not the same person I was. Obviously, we were young and dumb and me and my friends and that's what we did. We made mistakes and I own up to it. I've learned from it and I've learned throughout the way. This is just a reiteration from what I've learned through my journey going to JUCO, Division One. I love my family. I love my teammates. Obviously, this is a very embarrassing moment. But the support I got from my teammates at Wyoming and at my junior college has been outstanding. They knew who I am. I know who I am. Obviously, it's not the best situation, but I'm looking forward to tonight. He said that before being drafted. The key phrases there are, I was dumb and I own up to it. Those are the key phrases. Accountability was on display with Josh Allen from day one. He flat out said, if anybody in this locker room wants to talk to me about those tweets, I'll talk to them. Sometimes you don't get a chance to just sweep things under the rug. You have to sit in them. And you know what? That's uncomfortable. Especially for a kid on the biggest night of his life. It's uncomfortable to just sit in it. You want to dismiss it. You want to blow it off. Do you think you let the defense down? No. You want to move on. You want to brush under. But you don't get to do that as a leader. You don't get to say a thing and make it go away. You have to sit in it. You caused it. You did this. Now sit in it. You made your bed. Now lay in it. But we don't want to do that. But everyone else is watching you to see whether or not you're going to lay in that bed that you made. Everyone else is watching whether or not you're going to take accountability for your actions. So we shouldn't be surprised that Josh Allen took accountability for his poor play and has historically done that. When the first introduction that many people had to Josh Allen was him doing just that. Taking accountability. We're going to do plurality pie for the Bills game against the Browns. And there's a lot of names on this list. We're going to start with the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Matt Milano. 13%. All pro Milano for 2022. Daquan Jones, 11%. So much of what Matt Milano has been able to do this year and what Tremaine Edmonds has been able to do is predicated on Daquan Jones. I understand that I pound the table for this. I beg of you to go back and watch only him. Devin Singletary and James Cook both get 8% each, 16% combined. Same number of rushing yards, same percentage. Ed Oliver, 7%. Another benefactor of Daquan Jones. The trickle effect that a good one tech can have is meaningful. We're going to have to have a discussion this offseason about one techs. If you remember, I was out on Jordan Davis because I said he's a two down. This is really important. Daquan Jones is not a two down one tech. He's not. 
He can also rush the passer. That's what makes players like that valuable. Josh Allen, 7%. Small portion for Josh Allen. Mostly a passenger this week. Tyler Bass, 7%. Naheem Hines, 6%. Stephon Diggs, 6%. Other, 27%. Naheem Hines, really good returner. Let's try and get him a little bit more involved on offense, shall we? Tyler Bass, six field goals. Really good. Yes, indoors. Caveat. Still, six field goals is good. Matt Mulatto, 13%. Daquan Jones, 11. Devin Singletary, 8. James Cook, 8. Ed Oliver, 7. Josh Allen, 7. Tyler Bass, 7. Naheem Hines, 6. And finally, Stephon Diggs, 6. Other 27%. Plurality pie, ladies and gentlemen. Evan sent in a prediction email. We got to get to it. So the Bills are heading back to Detroit, he says, trying to be first team to win back-to-back games in Ford Field in about eight seasons. LOL, I see what you did there. The national media acts like they forgot about the Bills, but they're about to snap back to reality. Jared Goff's knees are weak. His arms are heavy. There's vomit on his jersey already. Dan Campbell's spaghetti. Buffalo is going to be 3-0 on Josh Allen Thanksgiving games. Thanks to Detroit's defense being borderline historically bad, there's going to be some weird touchdowns for Buffalo. Not even I can accurately predict how weird they will be. Maybe a practice squad wide receiver, a declared eligible lineman, Taiwan Jones, Naheem Hines, high school quarterback Von Miller running the Wildcat. Who knows? But Buffalo rolls big in their home away from home, 45-3, to and gets seven days to get ready to go into Gillette to remind the Patriots that Josh Allen is their new dad. We got one last thing to talk about. One final thing. And it's a piece that I wrote for Buffalo Rumblings and I wanted to write something in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Because, you know, I mean your podcast feeds on Thursdays and Thanksgiving are Thursdays and I wanted to speak to you a little bit about Thanksgiving and that we have much to be thankful for as people who follow the Buffalo Bills. But I want to get a little bit sappy for a minute, if I may. Studies done jointly between a University of California Davis psychologist and one from the University of Miami showed that happiness correlates significantly with gratitude. It is this reason why I enjoy Thanksgiving so much. I don't overly enjoy much of the traditional Thanksgiving food, and I'm not particularly fond of the origin of American Thanksgiving. But those are topics for another time, or perhaps never. But the spirit of Thanksgiving A day where we take a moment to look around our lives and take inventory of our blessings has always greatly appealed to me, much because of that correlation with happiness. Most surveyed would agree that happiness is a goal of theirs, but far too often we fail to recognize that happiness is a lagging indicator of a behavior. We instead view it as a lagging indicator of circumstances only. And so, we chase ideal circumstances to obtain the happiness we seek rather than chasing the behavior that will grant us happiness. But as everyone sits down to their turkey dinners, complete with any number of yellow or brown-colored side dishes, those of us who have a rooting interest in the Buffalo Bills have things for which to be thankful. So before your know-it-all uncle 
begins waxing poetically about how you're all tired because of the tryptophan and the turkey. It's not that. It's the overeating and the carbs. Inevitably, every year, someone tries to say it's the tryptophan, and it's not. It's just a word that you heard this one time. Before that happens, allow us to take stock in that for which we are grateful. From me to you, a list. First off, organizational function. Do you remember the infamous Privy press conference with Doug Whaley? It was one of many organizational low points for the Buffalo Bills during a 17-year playoff drought. I recognize that Doug Marone and Mike Malarkey resigning from one of their 32 dream jobs stung a little bit. But the embarrassing perception of organizational ineptitude that exuded from the post-Rex Ryan media availability had the Bills franchise, and by extension, Bills Mafia, in a state of league mockery. Fast forward five years, and the Buffalo Bills are a picture of stability and organizational competence, praised by national pundits for the way they go about handling their business. Completely separate from any wins on the actual playing field, the Bills are run like an organization should be. Next on the list, a franchise quarterback. Josh Allen has been, admittedly, in a slump recently. The idea that he may be the 2022 league MVP is pretty far in the rearview mirror as we approach week 12 of the regular season. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and an unlikely AFC East foe in Tua Tungavailoa fight it out for the award. But the Bills went through a lot of frogs before they found their prince. That's one of my favorite metaphors for the hunt for a franchise quarterback. And the reason that is, is because Bills Mafia kissed them all. Drew Bledsoe, J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor. The fan base dove headfirst into the idea that each one could be the guy. They weren't, though. While the man known as Fitzmagic was throwing tragic late-game interceptions, Josh Allen, ironically enough, was the same age as Fitzpatrick's jersey number, making his way along the path that would eventually lead him to getting drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Regardless of any slump, Allen is unquestionably the franchise quarterback now and in the future of this team. And having that box checked hasn't been the case in a long time. Lastly, a new stadium deal. Whether or not you believe in the specifics of the stadium funding deal being good or bad for the region or the taxpayers is immaterial to the point. Whether or not you wanted a dome is also irrelevant. Having a new stadium agreed upon that keeps the team in Orchard Park where so many memories have been created by so many people is something for which to be thankful. The Bills have been a fabric of the community for generations of people ranging from Western New Yorkers who live 10 minutes from the stadium to fans in Europe who stay up until the wee hours of the morning just to watch their favorite American football team and see the place where they one time made a hallowed pilgrimage. The Bills are well run. They have a franchise quarterback and are set to be in their rightful place for a long time. 
All these developments occurred fairly recently. And none of them should go without specific and overt recognition. After all, gratitude is highly correlative to happiness. And we do want the shout song to sound joyous, don't we? And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.